Father, we come before you and we thank you for today. This is the day that you have made and so may we indeed be glad in it. May we see your mercies and how great they are, how continual they are. And may we see that you are the Lord over all things. You are Lord over our lives. That our lives are indeed just a mere breath as the psalmist tells us. And as we very well know as well, how quickly our lives go and how quickly they will be over in this world. And so we come, O Lord, amazed at you and rejoicing at your grace towards us, which we daily taste of and enjoy. And so we come thankful, Father, for your hand and that you are good to us even though we are so rebellious in our hearts, in our lives, in our thoughts. What amazing grace you show us in Jesus Christ. And so we come this morning and we pray, and may we pray, each one of us, as we are praying together. It's not just me up here praying, but we are praying together. And so may we pray honestly before you right now, Admitting that we are indeed a messy people. I am a messy person. In every hour, each of us rely upon grace. Whether it's common grace or it's a special grace that we know as those who are in Christ. We rely on grace. And so we come praying honestly before you. We long for holiness and we long for godliness. Yet so often we are so caught up with our sin and our idols and our own plans and our own dreams, our own ambitions. And we are caught up with our own pride that we will not get low when you call us to be low always. Forgive us, Lord, for these things. Forgive us for our pride our continual occupation with our families, ourselves, our plans and everything about us while the need is great, our need is great. And so help us, Lord, to see that those things are not okay and help us to humble us and even if it would be the case right now, break us, Lord. Break our hearts and then put us back together again that we may proclaim the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so be with us now as we turn to your word. May you do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Esther. We'll be continuing our study walking through this book with Esther chapter 4, and we'll be looking at the whole chapter this morning. Now, over the course of history, there are times when certain people rise up at just the right moment. There is a need, whatever it is, even if perhaps we don't even know there's a need, they rise up at just the right moment. 
time. They are people that are not perfect people, but they're unique to their time, who speak and they act when perhaps no one else is or no one else will. You know, as I, I think of people like that through history, I think of people like William Wilberforce, incredible man. I urge you to go and buy his biography, go read his book that he wrote. But he uniquely was able to speak and labor and persevere over 20 years against opposition after opposition to end the slave trade in England. And so I think of him, but then I also think of others. I think of like Winston Churchill, also incredible man. When England was threatened by Nazi Germany, he was the man of the hour, as he was called, to lead and inspire and rally a nation at just the right time. We're also of perhaps Martin Luther King Jr. You know very well his speech. Who had a, he had a dream and he spoke and he acted and he changed the world at just the right time. And we could go on. We could, not to mention the biblical people that we see in Scripture over and over again. Abraham, Moses, David, and of course... Esther, right? The woman we have been, or the book we've been reading by her name. However, all that being said, the looming question for you and me this morning is not primarily about all of them. It's about you. About you. You are here this morning, today, at this time, for such a time as this. In 2022, you are living, you are breathing. God has you here now for such a time as this. Not an accident. And so as we go to the Word... This morning, may you open wide your ears and consider what God may well be calling you to as well. So let's read here then, beginning with Esther chapter 4, verse 1. May God help us and may he bless the reading of his word. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out in the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting. And many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. And when Esther's young women 
And her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. And Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. And then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. And then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. And hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do, and then I will go to the king. And though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So here... With this chapter, we have one of the most memorable chapters, indeed, of this book. I mean, it so easily etches itself into our memories. When we think of the book of Esther, very often these are the words we will remember and we think of almost immediately. Well, at this point in the book of Esther, everything is on the line. It comes at this point in the thick of the fog of immense, immense evil. Haman, the Agagite, he has been given to our great grief and to the great grief of the Jews full authority by the king of Persia to do all that's in his heart. All the evil that's in his heart. And Haman intends 
to do all of it. And what evil is that? Well, as we see and have seen here in Esther 4 and even in Esther chapter 3, he would have every single Jew, whether young or old, women or children, exterminated. Every last one throughout the kingdom of Persia, including Jerusalem. So like I said, this is a terrible, fearful time. And so the decree goes out that this is his plan, but it's not Haman's like decree. It is the king's decree because he, Haman, was given the signet ring. And so this decree goes out and confusion just runs like a flood through the streets of Susa. And you can imagine that, right? I mean, this comes out of nowhere. You're just living your life and just think of it. A decree goes out. All Christians in America, they will die on December 24th. Terrible. Were you ready for that? No. And so we see that this is a time to lament. This is a time to lament. There are times when you just can't but fall on your face and just cry out. I don't know if you've had times like that in your life when you've just been so undone or broken over something happening in your life or in the world and you just fall on your face and you cry out. Well, that's what's happening here. It's not a time for feasting. It's not, it's not what we need to do now. It's not a time for business as usual. It's not a time for levity. So we're not going to come to this passage and be like, you know, chipper over it, like yippity-dee, you know. That's not what they were experiencing. I mean, they were overwhelmed and overcome at this moment. And so this is a time to be broken. And that's what they were. Mordecai and the Jews were broken. So upon hearing the news of the king's decree, Mordecai, he tears his clothes and he puts on sackcloth and ashes and he just cries out. And I mean, this would have been indeed a heart-wrenching sight to see. I mean, there in the midst of Susa, the capital of Persia, in the city, right there he just crumbles and he, he weeps over this great evil in sackcloth and ashes, mourning as though he is a dead man. That kind of brokenness. Have you ever been that broken before? Well, the lament, though, did not end with Mordecai. As we see the Jews in every single province throughout the whole empire, upon hearing all of this, they did the same thing. 
And they're just broken and shattered over this news. Now, in seeing all this, we just need to pause here and notice something maybe strange, or maybe since we've been walking through the book of Esther at this point, maybe you've gotten used to it. But we need to notice something. So in all this, as they mourn, as they get in sackcloth, as they cry out, there is no mention of them crying out to anyone in particular. I mean, do you find that strange? I mean, you ought to find that strange, you know? I mean, it does not say in verse 3, there was a great mourning among the Jews, and they cried out to God. Ah, there's where it needs to go. With fasting and weeping and lamenting. So they don't do that, and we need to see that. Now, it could be that their outcry here was a secular kind of godless sort of outcry. Now, before you kind of throw up your arms and say, well, I don't know about that, remember where they are. They are in exile. Why? Because they have sinned against the living God. They are in judgment for rebelling and refusing God. And so they there are living among the nations. And so it could very well be that their hearts had shriveled and dried up and a sense of godlessness had set in within them. And so as they cry out, it's not crying out particularly to God. It's just, we did that in the past. Like, that's what Jews did in the old days, you know. We better do that again, whatever that looks like. Just get down on your face, cry out and lament. So it could be that. And I honestly think that's part of the reason why we don't see it say specifically they cried out to God. It's because wherever they were as a people, they were not in a good place. And so I think that's part of the point here. However, when the people humble themselves in this way, I don't think that they are simply just crying out to their dead air. At this point, I think it's very reasonable to believe that they are crying out to someone. Now, it doesn't say it there, that they cry out to God. But I think we have good reason to see that they would cry out, namely, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, why do I say that? Why do I, am I just pulling that out of the air? I don't, I, I'm not just pulling this out of nowhere. Like I think that would be good. I would like that better if they just cried out to God here and made it plain. I'm not just doing it because of that. It's because this is what they do. I mean, every time you see this happen in Scripture, this is what they do. We see this cry again and again and again from the people of Israel. We see it from what Tyler read a moment ago in Joel chapter 2. They were told to seek God, to humble themselves And they did. That's why the Lord answered in Joel. And we see it 
where else, right? And, and judges, I mean, they're getting themselves in trouble again and again. And then it stops and it says, and then they cried out to God. And he sent another judge. And we see it in the Psalms and we see it many times in Scripture. We see that sort of cry like in Psalm 79, 9, where they say, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your namesake. So I think that we have good reason to say that in the midst of their godlessness, a humbling has happened to the people of Israel. However, lamenting and brokenness is not just appropriate for them here in the Bible. Like we say, okay, well, Good job, you know, Joel chapter 2. Good job, Israel. Good job, all of you who do that. But there are times when we need to lament and be broken. You know, I find that Esther is especially relevant in our day. I mean, we we don't really know what lies ahead, whether it's for good or for ill for the future of America, and it's kind of secularism, it's godlessness, but we can certainly say that we are breathing in its secular air every single day. I mean, we could well say, and perhaps we do need to say this, along with Isaiah, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I mean, when you read that in Isaiah 6, do you think that he was just kind of like, it's really not that big a deal. Like he just comes to church. Not that he had church then, but he comes to church and he just, oh, you know, cries out, oh, I'm clean. And then he just goes his merry way. Is that what he did? I don't think so. There is a sort of response that we need to have to these things around us that is not simply I'm going to worship, hear the word of God preached, and go on my merry way. And I think we know something perhaps that's somewhat similar to at least Israel in Judges and maybe here in Esther too. You know, it wasn't too long ago that we saw our nation do something like that, right? And you'll remember exactly what I'm talking about. What I'm thinking of particularly is September 11th, right? 2001. I mean, that was one of those times. I mean, whether you were a believer or unbeliever, everywhere people were crying out, they were falling on their face. I I wasn't for to God. I wasn't a believer then. And so I heard all these things and wept, but it was a godless weeping and it was not towards God. But 
People all around were doing these kind of things. They, were, they went to church the Sunday after September 11th, and they came in the droves to church, and they cried out to God. Yet, like judges, just as quickly they drew back to their old ways and to their old selves. And I find it interesting that when COVID happened, no one, it seemed, did this at all. I think some churches did. But as a whole, the godless heart, the secularism, invaded. No cry out to God. And if we're not careful, our hearts can just go right along with that whole mind. And so what might be some reasons that we have to grieve today? To be humbled, perhaps, like we see here in the book of Esther. Well, one reason is it's right to be broken now if you don't know Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and that is a reason for you to grieve and to be broken. It's not too much to say that your response is to be that of Isaiah's when he looks in Isaiah chapter 6 at the holiness of God And I want you to think about that because one day all of us are going to be there experiencing the reality of God's holiness that does not have like like dot, dot, dot after it, like there's more time. It will only have a period after it. No going back at that point when you're before the holy God and how does Isaiah respond? He is overwhelmed. He is undone. I mean, woe to me. I am lost. I am ruined. So it's not going too far to say that if you don't know Christ this morning, this would be a right response for you. And I even plead that for you. Do not think that maybe you have one more day around the corner when you may not. And you will have to face the holy and living God. Oh, that you would see that we are not living before a God of wood or stone or a God that we have fashioned with our own hands. He is the living God who is present here right now. Everywhere present. And he knows you. He knows your heart. The living God, he is perfect He is infinitely holy. He is perfectly good, perfectly righteous, perfectly just, and nothing ever, ever misses his attention. And that is a fearful thing for us sinners. Every sin, every day, and one day, each one of us, you, your children, all of us, all of you will stand before him and give an account before the living God. 
So if you don't think that's a reason to be lamenting and broken right now, if you don't know him, I pray that you would. Jesus does not say idly in Matthew 24, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so that is certainly a reason right now for you to be broken. Another reason is it's right to be broken now over a growing lack of desire and earnestness for God. A growing lack of desire and earnestness for God. And if you don't believe that, just consider that we have greater access to Bibles, sound doctrine, and godly instruction than we've ever had before. Yet, we are fine with less than that. We're fine without any of that. And we're fine even with exactly the opposite of all of that. We say to ourselves, whether we know it or not, just give me, give me someone who will itch my ears, entertain me, but don't give me the truth. Don't give me God's word. Don't give me a word that pierces and makes me get like this, like where I get broken because I don't really care about godliness. Like, sure, I come to church, but that, I mean, really in my life, this is the only time I pray or read the Bible is when the pastor prays or someone else prays in the service dentist prays. That's when I pray every week. Well, this is for you. That is a growing lack of desire and earnestness for God. And it is fearful because if you know him, you love him and you follow him. And there is no treasure greater than your God such that you would give your life for him. And if you're willing to give your life for him, that is not one Sunday a week. That is not a godliness or earnestness for God that happens one day a week and then you go and live like the world and you love it. Jesus, he warns us about this. That in the last days, this is exactly what will happen. In Matthew 24, 12, he says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you this morning. Well, friend, hear me when I say this in all love that it is right to grieve over that and to be humbled by that. If you see it in your heart, if you see it in your life, that's not the point where you need to go and say, I'm refusing to notice these things in myself. Do you realize what that will do to you if you do that? 
your heart will begin getting harder. So that is, a, that is the right response is to be broken over this. So that's second. And then a third reason. It's right to be broken now in view of the vastness of the lostness all around us. Right now, there are around 7.8 billion people living in the world today. And most of those do not know Christ. Is that a problem? <laughs> yes, it should be our answer. Most of those do not know Christ, and 3 billion of those living and breathing people have little or no access to the gospel. That is grievous. That is a reason to be broken. That apart from our churches, apart from us, apart from you, apart from me, many, many people, they will die and they will go to hell forever. Are you okay with that? So what should we do? What should we do in view of just those three? There are more. Abortion is one of them. What, sh- what should we do? We'll admit that we desperately need the Lord. Admit you desperately need the Lord. Admit our world is desperately in need of the the Lord. This means if you are here and you don't know Christ, see your desperate need for Him now. You are separated from God right now. Yet, even now, if you simply look to Christ by faith, believing that He lived and died and rose again to save and redeem you, you know what He'll do. He'll do it. He'll save you, life, true life, eternal life, God himself will be yours forever. And so that's what you need to do this morning. If you don't know Christ, admit you need him. You don't know him and put your faith wholly in him. And if you're here, And your heart is cold and dry with a growing antipathy. You need to pray honestly before God with David. These words. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So don't set aside this this morning. But your right response to that heart is the response of David. A broken and contrite heart. Admitting, Lord, it's there. I I don't. I don't give you the time. I 
I don't even think about you throughout the week. I don't really even care about others who don't know Christ. Forgive me. Help me. Transform this heart of mine. It's to be your prayer. And so in view of all of these things, of those who are lost around us and more, we need to see the second emphasis then in our passage here. That this is a time to act. This is a time to act. Verses 4 through 17. So here, in these verses, rather surprisingly, Esther had not yet heard about this decree. <laughs> I mean, she's there in the palace, but she has not heard yet about these things. Instead, she hears that Mordecai is there at the king's gate and he's acting awfully strange. <laughs> you know, what are you doing at the king's gate there in sackcloth and ashes? And so she sends Hathak, a eunuch particularly assigned to her, to Esther, to find out what's going on. And so Mordecai, he does that, he updates her, but he does more than that. Mordecai, he calls her to action. He calls her to action. He tells Hathak to give her a copy of the decree, and as we see in verse 8, says to show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. So Mordecai, he doesn't tell her how to do all of this. He just tells her for the sake of, of the people, do it. Act, Esther. Look where you are. Do something. Plead with the king. However, Esther does perhaps what many of us have done or have been tempted to do, and Esther is tempted to do nothing. She's tempted to do nothing. And so she does what we can do sometimes as well, and she tries to reason her way out of it. Now, she's not wrong in the things that she says here. I mean, this, this was serious business. If you are not called by the king, you very well could be put to death. So the Jewish historian Josephus, he thought that there may well have been court officials standing there on the ready with axes in their hand, ready to cut off the heads of offenders who come into the king unbidden. So this is not like, you know, she's just saying these things. These are things that really were going to potentially happen. And so this was real. She could die if she went to the king. And then she had another thing on her mind, didn't she? The king had not called her for 30 days, and so a question may very well be going through her mind at this point. You know, have I in some way, I don't know how, fallen out of favor with the king? That if I go, this could be really bad just because he's not happy with me for some reason. I mean, it's been 30 days. So that's what she's thinking. However, Mordecai, 
will not have any of that, right? He tells her she is in this position for such a time as this. He warns her that she won't be spared either. And if she does not act, some other deliverer will rise to save them. And so he tells her in verse 14, And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And though she may not know, and Mordecai may not even know, we know why she's there. This is no coincidence that she is now in this position. God has put her there for such a time as this. And so she receives then Mordecai's wise words. She calls for a fast. She says, all right, women, all right, everyone, fast for me as I go and talk to the king. And she then says her famous words that we know so well. In verse 16, then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Now, again, as you hear all of this, don't disconnect yourself from these things. Yes, you are not Esther. But God has placed you where you are for such a time as this also. It is not for later generations. It is not for those after you. You are here right now. It is for you and me while we have time for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. You and I must Do something. This is our time to act. And so by the grace of God, fulfill your calling. And what is your calling? Now, yes, we have, all of us have various vocations. You know, a particular work that God has given us to do. Maybe not being a pastor or a missionary could be that it's you're called to work as an engineer or an accountant or a janitor or something else, homemaker. So you're in calling. It includes all of that, but it's more than just that. You are the Christian presence where you are. You have your vocation, but that's not your primary calling, believers. Your primary calling is not being an engineer, not being a professor, not being a teacher, not a janitor, a homemaker, not retirement, or whatever it is you may do. It is to walk and live and grow as a disciple and go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is your primary calling. And you wonder why no one in your workplace is coming to faith in Christ. Well, you are that person that God has put there that they may hear the gospel. That's why you're there. 
Yes, provide for your family. Yes, everything else. But you're primarily, primarily there for such a time as this that you may share Christ with them. Have you done that in your home, with your children, parents? God is commanding you to do that. It is not the church's primary responsibility to disciple your children. That is your primary responsibility, parents. And if you fell in that and you don't disciple them in the word of God, God will come knocking at your door like he did with Adam in Genesis chapter 3. Men. So in your home, in your neighborhood, those living around you, in your workplace, in the church, and throughout the nations, that's your calling. Those three billion people that don't know Christ should concern us. It should concern you, and it should concern me, and we are to do something. And so by the grace of God, live in risk for the sake of the gospel. Live in risk for the sake of the gospel. This is what Esther did, I believe, risking, or better, banking everything she was on God. Wherever she was before all this, whatever sort of life she was living, at this point, all of it goes out the door in respect to secularity or godlessness. It is time to go and risk everything before God. And she's not alone. We'd be right to remember the host of people in Scripture who went out in faith not knowing where they were going or not knowing what was going to happen. And so we see that God was all that they had. And this is why Paul, he says in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because he's just living for Jesus. And so you did not become a Christian to live faithlessly. And so by the grace of God, for the sake of the gospel, live for him now. Become like him now. Love like him now. Risk for him now. Go and seek a a world in need of the gospel now. And can we go out more boldly than Esther did? We can go out more boldly than Esther did. And why? Because that cry for deliverance, that cry for a deliverer, has been answered through Esther partly as we see in the book of Esther, but specifically through Christ. Amen. The deliverer has come. King Ahasuerus gave a decree of death, but the greater King Jesus Christ He gives a decree of life, and he did perish. He did lay down his life, and he did die for you. 
the deliverer has come. And so this morning, consider what God is calling you to do. So as I pray, here in just a second, consider this morning, what do you need to do? It certainly means you need to pray. Each of us need to pray. We need to seek God's face. And maybe that means you need to grieve and be broken. Maybe it means you need to fast and leave here and not eat lunch. As crazy of an idea as that is. Maybe that's what you need to do is you need to go home and you need to repent. Or maybe you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning because a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. So whatever the Lord might show you as we pray, do it. Do it. By the grace of God, do it. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. May that be our heart at such a time as this. Let's pray. Father, we come and we pray right now to you. And as we do, I ask that you would help us to respond accordingly. As you have shown us wherever and whatever it is in our hearts or in our lives that you're calling us to do right now, may you make that clear to us. If that means we need to grieve, then let us grieve right now. If it means we need to ask for forgiveness and repent, maybe we even need to go to someone and say, I am sorry, I sinned against God and I sinned against you. Or maybe it's a matter of obedience. You need to obey the Lord in something and sharing the gospel with someone who you've known does not know Christ and yet you have yet to share the gospel with them. Or maybe it's a matter of obedience and obeying in believers' baptism or even biblical membership. And so help us, Lord, to respond this morning. As we sing, Lord, I need you, may that be our heart, and may we pray that, Lord, I need you. In Jesus' name, amen.